What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. All right, all right, all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 89. I am Brian McWilliams, as the lovely lady said. And of course, you can find all the show notes for today's episode over at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL89. Now, it's going to be a little bit of a different format today because I did an interview earlier, which I'm going to kick to in just a minute, with my uh, my buddy Stephen Betts, who is a lawyer, talking about the Kavanaugh issue because he's been following it really closely, and obviously his legal knowledge is very deep. But before I kick to that, I do want to tell you guys that this show, well, not this show, not Electric Liberty Land, the Lions of Liberty program is not what you might know. If you're a recent listener, you know us as the three-show format, the only variety show that you're going to get in the libertarian world. But it wasn't always as such. No, this show now is hitting, as of September 15th, its five-year anniversary, if you can believe that type of thing. If you can believe three yahoos out of Penn State can keep this liberty movement rocking for this long. But before you heard my melodious tones, before you heard John Odie Odermatt, on Felony Fridays, there was just Mark Clare, who had started this podcast and uh, had branched it out as a, the wave of the future, because we had just been writing articles at Lions of Liberty for a couple years before that. But Mark said, you know, I'm going to try this podcast thing out. And he has been just shoveling that coal, man, for five years, allowing us all to grow, allowing us to reach you and your lovely ear holes in your noggin. And as such... We have worked with uh, the System is Down podcast host, Dan Smots. I almost said Don Smots. Don Smots hosting tonight at the Velvet Lounge. Don Smots, nothing but Don Smots. Anyway, uh, Dan Smots, our buddy over at the System is Down and uh, a listener and supporter in his own right of our podcast. He is also a graphic designer and whipped us together a fantastic five-year anniversary shirt. And... We're going to be giving that shirt away free to anybody that signs up as a thank you, as a gift to our listeners. Anybody that signs up as of even a $5 level as a Patreon, Patreon, as a patron for our show, we will send you that five-year anniversary shirt, which is pretty awesome. And don't worry, guys, if you're already a patron of ours, we're not going to leave you out in our cold. You guys are our, our gold children. You're our bread and butter, man. We... We make our beds out of you and we lie in you and snuggle close to all of you guys. So we have a very special discount code we're going to be sending through for all the uh, the merch. And uh, you'll get that in your patron inbox. So make sure you check that out. We'll be sending that any moment. Okay, let's kick into the show. So like I said, I'm going to cut to Steven. Then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about everything else going on. And there's a shit ton, you know, getting into this whole cop in Dallas that goes into an apartment and shoots a guy because she thinks it's her apartment. Talk about that. Talk about U.S. News and World Report has redefined the way they rank colleges now to make sure that social fucking justice is involved. So that's sweet and lovely. And uh, a couple other topics as well. So we'll kick into those in just a minute. But before we do, let's start some Kavanaugh with my buddy Steven. 
All right. So I've got a very special segment here. Everybody's been hearing about the Kavanaugh hearings and the confirmations and everything else and how we're in some sort of horrible moment as far as the Democrats concerned, as far as what could happen with our country should this this evil uh, ogre be confirmed. But talking about the Kavanaugh hearings that are going on for the Supreme Court nomination, I have brought in a family member, a friend, and a, uh, a listener of the show, and also a legal expert, one Stephen Betts. What's up, Stephen? Good morning. Happy to be here. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Oh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, we are, we're doing this a special segment in the morning before Stephen has to jet off to his lawyering work. Uh, you know, stealing stealing babies' milk money and uh, you know, <laughs> suing homeless people. Whatever it is you do there. Yeah, all sorts of bad stuff. But <laughs> I'm glad to talk about this because I've been reading the internet a lot and being very uh, rolling my eyes at this computer screen and being very uh, upset with the absurdity that we've been seeing with this and happy to kind of talk about it hopefully in some sane terms. Well, thank you. Well, I appreciate that you consider this a sane place, which many would not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just you're talking about the headlines and just reading some of these these stories. And I was going to save this, but actually it ties into probably one of the, the, the key topic of the, key, the confirmation here. Uh, which is the Rovers Wade matter. And you know, I mentioned before we jumped on, just I saw this story just this morning. So I was like, you know, taking my morning constitutional. And uh, I was like, well, I better see what's the latest news going on today. And of course, the New York Times has an opinion piece called The Handmaiden's Court, because God knows everybody that writes about this topic can't help but reference yeah. The Handmaiden's Tale as if this is the future of America. <laughs> and inevitable should Kavanaugh be confirmed. But it's by a woman named Michelle Goldberg, and this woman wrote, you know, this whole article about how it would be the worst thing in the world. But I couldn't get over just this one paragraph, you know, saying, uh, you know, this is the only abortion rights case Kavanaugh ever ruled on. Uh, but his handling offers a clue as to what's in store for American women if he's confirmed to the Supreme Court. And this is my favorite part. No one knows whether Kavanaugh would vote to overturn Roe versus Wade outright or simply gut it. So it's, you know, it's like there's no other option. Yeah. The only two. It's it's either he's going to overturn it completely, or just rip the rip the baby right out of it, uh, like the, the medical medical law baby uh, in this abortion case. So, I mean, what are your? Give me your your lawyerly expert breakdown. What what is the issue with Kavanaugh and Rovers Wade? What do you think? Uh, you know, what's your general take on him as a judge? And we'll go from there. Sure. So I think, you know, to use a baseball term, I think Kavanaugh is basically a replacement level conservative justice. I don't think there's right. anything about him, you know, that is, uh, stands out a lot as far as if you look at any conservative, any justice that a Republican president would appoint, this guy's basically the, the boring mold that you would get. Uh, you know, on Fourth Amendment stuff, he tends to be pro-law enforcement, on abortion, like almost every Every conservative justice in the country or thinker, legal thinker in the country, they think Roe versus Wade was wrongfully decided. They have some issues with those decided. But that doesn't mean that they'll overturn it and we're going to end up in some kind of, you know, handmaidens tell hellscape just because the Supreme Court, uh, yeah, the Supreme Court justices will have a certain opinion on how a case was decided 40 years ago. Well, because the precedent set, right? I mean, that is the precedent and overturning precedent is something that everybody is very hesitant to do. Yes. And so I don't think that I don't think that Kavanaugh is going to overturn or the court in general, because it's not it's not just him. Of course, you have you have to get at least five of the justices to agree to this. I don't think they're going to overturn this, mostly because this is a pretty huge precedent that has a lot has been built off of it, not just in the abortion arena, but in general in unenumerated rights, 
whether you think Roe versus Wade was rightfully or wrongfully decided, that battle has kind of been over and a lot has built on it since then. So I don't think that at this juncture that any serious Supreme Court is going to try to overturn it completely. Now, I do think that there's some leeway where, because in 1982, there's another case so the, the, the called Casey versus Planned Parenthood. In that case, I'm sure everybody kind of heard about it a little bit, but just briefly, in 92, everybody thought Roe versus Wade was going to return. Well, it didn't. The Supreme Court saved it with some conservative factors who went over to that kind of decided to uphold it, but they changed the test. And basically, Roe had this weird trimester framework that basically said that as, as the pregnancy went along, the state had uh, more interest in, in restricting abortion. And what they kind of did is they kind of turned around and basically said, no more trimester framework. What we're going to do is uh, before viability, if the, the, if the state cannot pass the laws that uh, put an undue burden on a woman's right to have a pregnancy. So that kind of leaves up a lot of leeway for what is an undue burden. So a lot of since the 90s, yeah. a lot of the litigation is surrounds this issue. So, you know, you, that's when you hear cases like, uh, you know, do you, parental consent forms, husband consent forms, uh, requirements in abortion clinics, all these kind of issues. The issue is always, is it an undue burden on the pregnancy? So I think in that area, you can see maybe the conservatives pushing back or expanding what an undue burden is. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you're ever going to see them just say, nah, we're, we're completely overturning this. Right. And, and as an aside, it's not crazy to think that Roe versus Wade was wrongfully decided. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg has written op-eds and law notes how she thinks it was wrongfully decided, although she believes that it's still that abortion should still be a protected right, but she thinks the reasoning in the court made in Roe was just crazy and, and, and not supported by the you'll, you'll never hear any of the Democrats yeah. argue that or yeah. bring any of that up. No, uh, yeah. which, which, uh, no, no one will topic. ever say it. Oh, what, another thing, too, I couldn't get over is that they keep pushing Kavanaugh and his personal viewpoints on all these different court cases and issues. And meanwhile, he's like, I'm not going to answer that because it's not pertinent to this. You know, I'm, I'm looking at law. I'm looking at precedent. And they're like, I can't believe this. How can we how can we let this happen? And meanwhile, it was like the Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the one who started doing that. Like, she's famous for doing it. Right. Isn't this? Right. Like, yes. <laughs> she started Absolutely. this. The icon of the left. And they're attacking him for the very same thing that's named after that. the woman. That's been that's been kind of the the the, the standard go to for these hearings since her, since her confirmation hearing, and really it's kind of like, why do we even go through them anymore? Because they're just kind <laughs> right. of charades, which we'll probably get to when we talk about Harris and Booker. Oh yeah. Uh, it, 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 and here's a big thing too that people I think that this this gets completely lost in this conversation. Uh, regardless of what the Supreme Court does, if let's say they even did overturn it, that doesn't mean that again suddenly now we're in this handmaiden's tale hellscape because. You, well, all that would do is it put it back in the political arena. There's a constitutional right. question. And there's a political question. And the political question doesn't seem to be discussed at all. It seems to be they're all wrapped up into one thing. And if the Supreme Court says there is no more right to this, it doesn't mean in places like California, right. New York, frankly, the places where most people live in this country, it, doesn't, it wouldn't affect their laws at all. Right. Yeah. It comes to a state's rights issue. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, so if you live in California, you live in New York, this will not affect you in any way, no matter what. There's no way California or New York or a lot of these blue states would suddenly change the laws. Maybe in these smaller red states where, frankly, I don't know what the polling is, but maybe a lot of more women there actually do support abortion restrictions. Yeah, you never know. I mean, if you you get knocked up on meth, you kind of want an abortion. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, you know, so it's it's the, the, the absurdity with this dystopian sci-fi um comparisons are that even the worst case scenario is not that bad <laughs> <laughs> but I, 
don't think it's going to happen anyway. I think you might see some restrictions on the margins of what an undue burden is, but I don't think you're going to see this being completely thrown out. Right. So, and, and, and if you recall it, you know, some of these emails that were unearthed where he made oh. some comments, right? It said something like, uh, he was grilled on this. And basically all he said was some experts, legal experts don't, uh, consider it settled law. And in fact, the Supreme court in some sense can always overturn its law. So I mean, nothing is ever settled. That's just, that's just a statement of fact, right? The media and uh, a lot of people on the left were lambasting him as if this was the smoking gun. He's going to overturn it because he doesn't believe in settled law. Well, that ties perfectly into, that ties perfectly into (laughs) what happened with this Cory Booker, uh, you know, Cory Booker's I Spartacus moment, which was one of the (laughs) third things I've ever seen in my life. Number one. So Cory Booker, you know, I'm sure a lot of people already know about this, but Cory Booker, has these emails because they have all these records from Kavanaugh, which they're also, by the way, saying all these Democrats are going, hey, we know we just we I've never seen a confirmation hearing where we've been denied his records. And it's like the guy's got records upon records. They're all public. They're all available to you. And the ones that aren't are available, at least to the committee. So anyway, a lot of these emails were, uh, you know, the, the uh, members of the Senate hearing committee can go through them and read them. And Booker even though they'd asked to make them public and Trump's administration said yes, you know, immediately said yes. He didn't realize it or still wanted to grandstand. So he he goes, I'm going to, I'll risk my uh, my senatorship or senatorhood, whatever, and, and speak up because I've got to say that, you know, people have to hear this. And he releases these emails, which are, again, a big nothing burger, wherein it's basically Kavanaugh saying, okay, let's look at these these different security measures for bringing people into the country when he was working for George W. Bush. And he essentially said, I am in favor of race-neutral security measures, and I don't want to have anything that's going to you know, particularly target a certain sector of people. But in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, let's find out a security measure we can put into place in the interim. Doesn't seem racist in any way to me. It seems like somebody trying to deal with this situation where we were just attacked, where we're trying to figure out what to do in the, in the week aftermath uh, to try to stop any more attacks, and saying... And by the way, let's not put anything into place that's going to be especially racist. But the, but Cory Booker's holding this up as if it's, you know, like you're saying, the smoking gun to to categorize this man as a, as a horrible racist. And it's absurd. It, it was stunning. I felt like uh, so I rewatched the uh, the American version of The Office over the past three months. Mm-hmm. And there's like a camera thing, you know, when someone does something awkward and then right. the camera will <laughs> zoom into someone in the background who's like staring at the camera and will shake their head. <laughs> And I felt when I watched that, that's how I felt. I felt like the camera was zooming into my face. I'm in the background. It's so cringy and awkward. Yeah. Because I, I, it, it, yeah, it proved the opposite point he was trying to make, that Kavanaugh is not racially profiling. In fact, he was encouraging the government <laughs> not right. to do that. And then the whole idea that he's Spartacus and he's risking his career because he's releasing something that's classified, but it was declassified right. the night before, and he knew that. I mean, I, it, it was, it, this was something like I feel like in this digital age of our media that politicians will say things and they just will hope it will become into like an AJ plus video yeah. and no one will actually well, read the story. And that's what does happen, though. It's like that's when you see yeah. all these people on Twitter. Oh, Cory Booker pwned uh, Kavanaugh or like, yeah. you know, Cory Book at me, which is what we should refer to him as. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly, man. It's like because people just read the headlines and then they move along. And I did see a lot of headlines. You know what? He achieved his mission as far as reaching his his uh, constituents that may vote for him as president when his presidential runs. Because yeah, all these these Twitter headlines were uh, Cory Booker risks career to release emails. None of them said that they were already out. None. Yeah. It, 
it, it, it's 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 really stunning and, and and i don't know it's the hubris and the narcissism that call himself spartacus <laughs> dude i know seriously <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here man <laughs> I, I remember who it was i think the republican is a grassley who was sitting there and he kind of said okay how many times are you going to tell us that <laughs> tell us that and then he kept repeating it i think what's funny about booker is he's he's gone from being this i what's i don't know if it's trump derangement syndrome or what but he years ago he was considered this kind of moderate Democrat. Like he was working with Rand Paul. I mean, he, yeah. he, I yeah. really liked Cory Booker because he was working on justice reform, which I think he still is. He was working on uh, logical, I think, marijuana reform laws. Yeah, he was working, reaching across the aisle, and now he is completely manic. He's, he's just, lost he's his lost mind. Yeah. yeah, only to be outdone by Kamala Harris, but yeah, he's yeah. pretty. He's pretty close. Well, so she's I, she's I, also the worst. I mean, has she officially changed her last name to Harris 2020 yet? So you have to say <laughs> Kamala Harris 2020. <laughs> Which would be a brilliant PR move, by the way. <laughs> oh my God! And Senator yeah. Kamala Harris, twenty twenty is uh, no. She interrupted Kavanaugh what seventy five times. I mean, it, you know, these, yes. It's like you, we're trying to confirm a Supreme Court justice instead of haranguing him, instead of yelling at him, or getting gossip, gotcha questions. Ask him a question, let him answer it, let him answer other people's questions. Like, I mean, this is uh, this is unheard of. I've never seen anything like this in the past. You know, where people are just yeah. interrupting like this. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, and she, she is great at, I don't know if it's, I don't think, I think she's great at creating this using, using modern media to, to really build herself up because uh, in, in this way that they, yeah, she expects these little clips to be taken from her meetings and they get put into an AJ plus video or, right. you know, those like videos are like have the text. Oh yeah. Completely. They take this 15 second segment of just of her uh, being an asshole and yelling yeah. at a guy and then it's like oh wow she zinged him it's like it's yeah so there's like two instances that really stood out to me watching this one I'm going back to how we started this is the, the the abortion questioning and she asked kavanaugh something along the lines of oh uh are, are you aware of any law that kind of restricts the male body the way that the abortion restricts the female body obviously the answer is no right because, because you know men can't reproduce <laughs> women can but uh so he says no and then it just becomes a little video clip. And again, I'm watching this. And I go, this is, this is, this is, a, a, this is something that goes to why you politically might not want to restrict abortion because of equal, you know, equality and that kind of stuff. But constitutionally, this has nothing to do, which is his job has yeah. nothing to do with why he's there. <laughs> Kavanaugh, are you familiar with any bill that would prohibit a human being from turning into a robot built to yeah. deceive? No. Yeah. And I go on my Facebook feed and it's everyone's acting like she dunked on him. And I'm like, right, this, yeah. is, this, is, this is crazy. And then the second thing was she got this bizarre line of questioning where she was asking him whether he had any conversations with, uh, about the Mueller probe with any people who worked for a particular law firm. And this is a law firm that represents Donald Trump. And this is a huge law firm. That was like three or 400 lawyers or something absurd. And, you know, he sits there and he goes, uh, and she frames it in a way where she won't say this person's name, just as anybody. And he goes, um, uh, I, I, do you have a name? And she goes, I think you know who I'm talking about, but you don't want to tell us. It's, goes, it's like the no, office, no, it's like the barista in the office. He's like, has yeah. a he's like, hey, you heard about this Mueller probe? He's like, ah, I don't know, that's all right. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is she's, I think she was trying to get him in a perjury trap, right? I bet she does have something silly like that, like right. where he talked to, the janitor who works on this law from about, hey, that Miller probe, yeah, crazy, huh? And he <laughs> probably got that. If he said no, then she would try to be like, bam, you're a liar. You know, I have right. <laughs> He's being careful about it. And then you can, you can tell, because if you know how someone does a cross-examination, you, you, try to, you try to get them to commit, and then you hit them with what you have. And so mm -hmm. she tried to get them to commit down, and then she just moved on. 
So that suggests to me that there's nothing there. She had nothing really good to go off of and she just went off. But yeah. then again, when I first watched the story, when I first heard about this, it wasn't I was watching it. I was actually seeing some stupid AJ Plus clip or you know, a short article about it. And it acted like she's this brilliant prosecutor who just <laughs> dunked on him and just got him. You know, he's done. It was like really opposite. It's someone who's kind of inept, just kind of floating through it and then moved on and could not pin him down. But it's just really amazing how these these hearings are just used for politicians to prop themselves up now. Okay. It's really all there are. I mean, Amy Ted Cruz, who I'm kind of liking more and more as time goes on because he says things that are that are just like on point and doesn't go and kind of go with the whole uh the charade, I think, but he said something like, "We all know the Democrats are going to say vote here." So it's almost like we don't. Well, yeah, know why we're going through all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, it's a very good point, though. It's like you know, somebody came yeah. out they, they you know, some senator, some uh, female senator. She's like, after a long consideration, I've decided to vote against uh, Kavanaugh. And it's like a Democrat from wherever. And it's like, please, please, yeah, hey, where you, where yeah. you're sitting here, keeping you up at night. I'm sure. Yeah, no. It's like when they put out that. Uh, you know, what was it? God, some organization put out a press release. And it was they didn't fill in the name of the actual judge in the press release when it was like whatever Trump announced Kavanaugh's nomination, they rushed to put out this press release saying that they opposed the nomination. But there was literally for the for we opposed the nomination of it was like X, 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 X. So they'd written the, a press release opposing yeah. the nomination before he even announced it. So it was like as yeah. a, as a little disingenuous. So I know, yeah, that kind of goes to uh, what what's the game plan for if, if you're the Democratic Party? Because like I said before, Kavanaugh is just a replacement level judge, mm-hmm. a, a conservative judge. He's he's like I said, pro law enforcement comes to Fourth Amendment. He's um, skeptical of abortion decision making and probably will try to restrict it as it goes on, but not going to overturn. Well, he's he's pro NSA spying, or I guess his. That's one thing I want to talk about is you know we're cracking on the more idiotic oppositions from the Democratic side of things, but there are some legitimate concerns about him. You know, like you you mentioned, unenumerated rights. Uh, He's 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 not answered many questions on that, and he seems to be pretty bad on that topic. Um, And also about. You know, the, the NSA domestic spying issues, he sided with the government saying that the Fourth Amendment wasn't infringed upon with any of this domestic spying, which is a huge concern. To me. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess there's two from a libertarian perspective, I guess there's two areas that are, are, give cause for concern on, on the NSA issue. Just for quickly for people who uh, may not be familiar with it, there was a case uh, a couple of years ago. Right when that story broke um, and one of the first lawsuits was made in his circuit, he was a circuit judge there. And he uh, ruled that the data collection, I, I think it's PRISM. I'm sure someone's going to send you a well, actually, because um, <laughs> I don't really remember exactly which one. Well, there were like seven, yeah, seven, seven of them yeah. in the architecture. So who knows which one it was? Yeah, I can never really get it straight. But the, basically, the metadata, metadata collection thing was proper under the Fourth Amendment. And so he upheld it. Uh, and then he has since kind of walked it back. There has been a little bit development on that area in, you know, from the Supreme Court since then. And I think he said at this confirmation hearings that if he ruled on it today, he would have ruled differently. So maybe that's right, true. Well, maybe it's not so, something that you can look that up. But um, and then on the unenumerated rights issue, uh, he's very conservative in the sense that he doesn't won't come out and say, but also doctrinaire conservatives more. He won't say, I don't believe in unenumerated rights, but he will say is, I only believe in ones that you have to demonstrate are, um, well, well, gosh, I'm blanking on the phrase, but uh, conservatives are very much that you have to show that they're historically fundamental to, to, to our society. So you can't just make it go on. (laughs) So, yeah. So it's very restrictive idea of which ones they are. So, um, so those are two areas that I think are bad, but. I think he's great on guns. I think for if you're a Second Amendment person, 
He's excellent. I know a couple of years ago, you did an episode on Colby versus Hogan, which was with Rico, which was that case in the fourth circuit mm-hmm. where quick law explainer for people who are not really familiar with it, the Heller case. That's the case that said that a second amendment rights an individual right. And it's set. It's again, the question left open the question. Well, what guns? It can't be every firearm or every arm. And basically what it said is any firearm that is in common use for a lawful purpose is protected by the second amendment. Yeah. So in that case, it was clearly said handguns in the home clearly protected, but that leads up with questions for what about long, long guns, uh, semiotic long guns, assault rifles to the extent that they can be defined. Cause usually those definitions are just scary guns. Um, but yeah, this, it didn't Feinstein ask him about this and it was, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I, let, I'll let you tell it since always, you started it. Yeah. It always does. I don't really, <laughs> but, but the issue is he, he had a, there's a second case that went up in the DC circuit also called Heller because of the same, same litigants that tried to Maryland had a long gun ban, uh, or a semi-automatic, a, a ban on semi-automatic, semi-automatic long guns. And it got upheld. And a lot of these, a lot of these bans are being upheld by like kind of progressive courts changing the standards. So, right. like the Hogan case, you recall, they went away from common use to if it's more suited for military use, which is yeah. just they just made it up to get around <laughs> yeah. it. And so he's very good on that. He wrote this masterful dissent that basically upheld Heller. And so I think now on the Supreme Court, you're going to have five solid. Uh, pro Second Amendment, pro Heller, pro law uh, justices, whereas before I think Kennedy was kind of waffling on it. Yeah. Um, so that's good stuff. Well, that is awesome, and I, I will say the I you know I, like I said Pol- or not Pelosi, uh, Feinstein was was pressing him on the issue, and I just remember it was funny because she was asking about that exact clause or that phrase, you know, oh, well, these common usage. Do you think long guns and rifles and what are semi-automatic? I think it was specifically semi-automatic weapons. Yeah, and she yeah. said. Do you consider these, you know, common usage? And he goes, and basically his answer goes, well, people have them, don't they? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're pretty common. If people have them all over the country, then they're common. Yeah. I mean, what, do you, what do you want to argue about? Yeah, so which like, is kind of funny when you juxtapose, juxtapose, you know, the abortion, the freak out about the abortion with and just the law, an approach from law, the freak out about the abortion. And then, well, I guess the same freak out about guns, but for different reasons, like he's upholding an enumerated right that's claiming the Constitution. He's just following the Supreme Court doctrine. And it's, oh, my God, we're going to go into a dystopian (laughs) Mad Max hellscape because people can have firearms. And on the other hand, he's not he's skeptical of this unenumerated right. And that's just like the worst thing ever. So it's it's kind of amazing just how people people's law people's approach to the law is almost generally for I'd say 95 percent of people. This includes lawyers their approach is not doctrinaire. It's just, what do I think politically? Right. It's so stunning watching or not stunning. It's just amazing watching this uh, uh, unfold like that. So. Awesome. Well, man, yeah. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking time at your morning. I know uh, I'm probably talking faster than usual because I'm like chugging this keto coffee. uh, Like (laughs) while we're talking. Keto coffee. Oh yeah. I put the butter in. Oh, the butter in the. All that shit oh to get your God. get your body going early. I love uh, you know, on your show. You're always talking mad shit about Los Angeles, but you do all this stuff. Where you're like, this is a Los Angeles guy. This yeah, is a Southern California guy. Hey, this Alex, I just read how Alex Smith got <laughs> ripped in the NFL drinking keto coffee, and Nick Foles does it, man. Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. Who I'm terrible. sure it has nothing to do with doing a lot of sprints every day, but yeah, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> a special athlete may weigh in more heavily. But by the way, since uh, I know your uh, your stepfather does listen often of course my wife's stepfather and uh one of our favorites donnie often listens so let's give a shout out to donnie what's up donnie out there hey donnie <laughs> <laughs> all right steven take reason man right, have a good day you. at work appreciate it and we'll talk to you soon thanks thanks for having me on take care <laughs> bye
We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 89. Again, reminder, you can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL89. Now, as we roll back into the show, I'm recording this on 9-11, which means I have been inundated all day by hashtags on Twitter, by uh, videos on Facebook, by all of these people you know, saying, oh, we, we will never forget, we shall never forget, but never forget. And I, I don't want to come across as saying as though I don't, feel bad for the people that died. Of course I do. Of course, I feel incredibly terrible for the families of the first responders and the first responders themselves on that day, the people that died in this horrible act of, uh, of terrorism, which, you know, I'm not even going to get into it on this show, the blowback issue that, uh, that American actions brought this on its own citizens. I just want to focus on what this is a tool for, because I talked about this the year before, and I want to just reiterate it again here today with full respect for all the people that died. And really, that's even more so. I mean, we talk about this, the people that died. You know, like all of this, we shall never forget stuff is supposed to be to remember those people. Now, granted, it was 3,500, something along those lines, right? Plus all the additional first responders and, and the people that have died afterwards from the effects of the attack, from smoke inhalation, from asbestos, and whatever else from the towers. It's supposed to be remembering those people, right? But what happens is that their memory is now bastardized. It's now being used as a tool by the government, used as a tool by the state, by the media that backs the state, the, the more, more machine itself, to continue to propagate the war on terror, to continue to keep us in this riled up state of we must do anything to protect our borders, we must do anything to stop this war on terror, which, by the way, since that day, hasn't done jack fucking shit. Because that was a one-off fluke. That was as I said, caused by American aggression for the last 50 years in the Middle East. But I see this and it just reminds me of like all of this, you know, ESPN designating the entire day to just programming a 9-11 and showing George W. Bush smirking around in the, in the fucking bowels of Yankee Stadium after it happened. You know, the same George W. Bush that Democrats now suck his dick saying, oh, if only we could have him back. The same guy who put the Patriot Act through which led to all this NSA spying, which led to PRISM, which led to the most gigantic domestic spying operation, all these infringements on our, on our rights, which, of course, Obama had no issue with. <laughs> that kept, you know, the same man who got us into this additional war, wars. God, let's bring him back, right? But to get back to my main point, 9-11 has now become essentially a hall pass to do whatever the fuck they want. When it comes to the war on terror, they have to continuously remind us this thing happened this one time 17 years ago. It may never happen again. It probably will never happen again. 
But we have to keep reminding people. It's like in 1984, the daily hate, except it's yearly. Once a year, we have our yearly hate, 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 hate. Remember this happened. Oh my God, it was horrible. It was tragic. And it was, it was. I can remember distinctly the day it happened, being in complete and utter shock back in college. Tears in my fucking eyes, watching, especially, especially when the second tower came down. Because that was where you just saw the first responders were in there. You know, you've got these people that are rushing into the flames, doing their best to save the people that are already hit. And then the second plane hits. And then you just see it come down. That is awful. And those people have my utmost and full respect. Like I said, this has nothing to do with the victims. This is to take nothing away from them. But to see their memories, to see these people being used as a continuous, as I called it, I think it's basically a hall pass where now the government has free reign to go traipsing about wherever the fuck they want. They don't need teachers' permission, i.e. Congress, or i.e. the people's permission anymore because they've got us all riled up with this boogeyman. They have to bring out the specter again and again to remind us that this one thing happened. And because of this one thing, we can now commit any number of atrocities across the globe, which if it was ever going to happen again, what do you think is going to cause it? Hmm, maybe us occupying somewhere for the last 17 years since it happened? Maybe expanding our influence in the Middle East via virtue of drone bombing innocent people and blowing up children in buses in Yemen. You don't think that's going to maybe foster some more terrorism? So no, we will never forget because we can never forget because the government will never allow us to forget. It's just too good of a tool for them. You know, it's like the, it's like the uh, Philly Philly special. Philly special, baby. ESPN's go-to highlight for the rest of the time. Now, 9-11 is that highlight for the government. The U.S. government will rerun this forever in order to keep its playbook wide open. Okay, let's move on to some happier stuff, right? And by happier, of course, I mean things that are a little bit less somber that I can still yell about. And uh, I don't want to jump right into this Dallas cop thing. Let's talk a little bit about U.S. News and World Report. How about that? And I'm just going to crack through these guys because there's a lot of things to go through here. And uh, hey, we all got places to be. But U.S. News and World Report is renowned because they put out their rankings of all the colleges, right, every year. And colleges depend and build entire marketing and advertising campaigns about this. They can depend on their admissions going up if they're listed in those higher rankings. And for the longest time, it was primarily these private schools, elite private schools, which were known for the utmost levels of education, incredibly difficult to get into. The Harvards, the Yales, even though they are, of course, racist in their uh, <laughs> their uh, basically going against Asians, as we've talked about on the show before. I don't know if you call it racism. Let's just say they're selective in a certain way, uh, going against Asians as a uh, population segment when they're going through their admission processes. But anyway... Private institutions, for the most part, or very prestigious elite places, difficult to get into, and that was that. Well, they decide they have to change the way that they do things now, because this is a brand new world, my friends, wherein actual results, actual standards don't matter worth a flying fuck. So, what has U.S. News World Report done? Well, they've revamped their rankings in order to take in how many people are graduating from those schools that are taken from disadvantaged communities or that are coming up from poverty or that are coming up from any number of different qualifications as far as underrepresented minorities slash underprivileged communities. That's one, one issue. But wait, there's more. 
not only is it about not just taking in people that are wealthy and or can get scholarships to make up the cost difference and yada, 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 because they've earned their place in this prestigious university. Not only is it not about that, but no, it's also about diversity, of course. Do you have a diverse number of people in your college? Are you taking in people that may or may not actually deserve to be there because they're of a different race or color that's underrepresented in your college historically? Well, guess what? Now that's part of it too. So if these colleges want to do that on their own, fine. God bless you. But where this becomes a big issue is that you've got obviously left-leaning U.S. News and World Report now taking this into their waiting as far as not, we're not talking about weighing places like, hey, what would be a nice place to go to school? Oh, this would be nice because you know why it's nice? Because they let in people from, from you know, lower class neighborhoods and they make an effort to try to give everybody a chance. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that adorable? Isn't that a nice social thing to do? Well, what they're supposed to be about is telling you where to go to fucking school to get an actual good education, right? Isn't that what these were founded for? Isn't that the purpose of these rankings? To tell people where to go to get the best education? So what the fuck does having a diverse population of children have to do there? What the fuck does taking in people from underprivileged communities or people that don't have the economic wherewithal or the grades, by the way, to necessarily get scholarships to get into these schools, what the fuck sense does it make to say we're not going to take into account our rankings letting in lower quality students? And here's what happens accordingly, by the way, guys. Do you know what happens when you take in lower quality students? Well, what ends up happening is that they can't actually make the grades because they're not smart enough. They haven't earned it. They don't deserve to be there. And they're not giving a free ride to these kids to say, we need to balance out these quotas. So what ends up happening is that they have to lower the educational standards because the school doesn't want to see people graduating with C's and B's. Nope, that doesn't look good for U.S. News World Report. That doesn't look good to a prospective employer. When their employment rates come out, their placement rates. So what are they going to do? Oh, gee, do you think they're going to fucking dumb down the curriculum so that their grade rates stay stay the exact same? Because it certainly seems like something that they would do to me. And it certainly seems like something that they have done, by the way. Historically, this is what happens. You see this when kids like Penn State, I'll use that as an example. We, We all went to Penn State. They have many, many branch campuses, right? The way it works if you're not able to, if you're not you know, smart enough, if you're not, uh, your grades aren't good enough, whatever it is, you can't get into the main campus, which is where I went and we all went, right? If you can't get into the main campus, you go to a branch campus. Now, I'm not saying everybody that goes to these branch campuses is stupid or can't do it. Sometimes you're distracted, sometimes whatever. I don't know. You took a year off. But you got to go prove your medal at these branch campuses. But what ended up happening was the kids from the branch campuses started getting pushed into the main university anyway. And they would have straight A's at the branch campuses. Then they get to main campus and they put up C's. Why? Because there's a different fucking educational standard there. And it's there for a goddamn good reason. And it royally pissed me off when they started doing it. So I'm saying, you're now degrading my education. You're making my degree worth less. And if I was an alumni at any number of these places that was seeing this new U.S. News and World Report come out or seeing my college take part in these kind of things on a grand scale in order to now be included in these rankings because schools will go out of their way to make sure they're in these rankings. So they are going to now, they're basically being forced by the media to change the way that they are hosting education at their universities. 
So if I'm an alumni seeing somebody go through, jumping through hoops to get all these kids in that shouldn't fucking be there just to appease U.S. News and World Report and some social justice bullshit agenda, I'm going to be pretty goddamn pissed off because it's making my degree worthless. So this is just, again, social justice horseshit gone wrong, defeating the purpose. I mean, what good is education if it's now subjective depending on your social fucking justice warrior values? Just idiotic. Okay, let's get around to this Dallas cop story, huh? I think most of you already know for the most part what happened here. There was a police officer in Dallas. Uh, It was a woman who basically came into her apartment, or what she thought was her apartment, this woman named Amber Geyer, Amber Geyer says she walked into what she thought was her apartment. Turns out she got off on the wrong floor, parked on the wrong floor after working 15 hours, walks in, tries her key. The door is ajar, pushes open the door and sees a guy in her apartment, a black man from St. Lucie. Then she says she shot this man named Botham Jean after he ignored her quote unquote verbal commands. Now, I don't know exactly what those verbal commands are, but they're probably along the lines of, oh shit, get down on the ground. Who are you? Get down. What are you doing in my apartment? So she's walking this guy's probably sitting on his couch. She busts into his apartment, pulls her gun out, and I don't even know if she was in her in her uniform or not. I the the reports I have read are not saying whether or not she was in her police office uh, uniform. She might have gone home. She might have gone back to the station, changed out of her uniform, changed into some street clothes. She probably did, actually, and then went home, took a shower or whatever else in the uh, locker room. But this one, so she says she, here's the the exact report wording, by the way. Believing she encountered a burglar, which she described as a large silhouette across the room in her apartment, Geiger drew her firearm, gave verbal commands that were ignored by Jean, And as a result, Geiger fired her handgun two times, striking the complainant, the dead guy, one time in the torso. And of course, he died. She then walks in. She wasn't even in the apartment, by the way. She opens the door, and then she enters the apartment, sees, whoops, this isn't my apartment, and I just shot a guy. Then she calls 911, and they show up. But guess what? He's dead. So what's going to happen here? And by the way, how stupid you have to be to not immediately open a door and realize you're at the wrong apartment. Also, even if you get on the wrong floor, you don't look up to see what the, the number is on the door. Every time I think I've walked into my apartment, I've seen the number on the door. And actually, one time, I did walk into the wrong apartment, but I was also very drunk. <laughs> and I knew my neighbors. And you know how long it took me to figure out I was in the wrong apartment? Maybe three seconds. It goes like this. Uh, open the door. Whoops. I'm in the wrong apartment. And then you back off. And you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that my apartment looks nothing like other people's apartments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe when she uh, turned on the lights and saw that she was in completely the wrong place. I mean, here's what I don't get. You open the door. Is the hall completely dark? Is it pitch black everywhere? You see no light shining in the apartment? So this poor guy wakes up. He's probably watching TV in his underpants on his couch or playing video games. Wakes up to a woman screaming at him, get on the ground, get on the ground. He goes, no, I'm not getting on the ground. This is my fucking apartment. And then she shoots him. Now, doesn't wait, doesn't uh, maybe back out of the hallway. You know, how about that idea? 
How about you back in the hallway? Maybe get some more light. Maybe turn the lights on before you shoot the guy. But no, no, this woman decided the best thing to do would be just to uh, to plug this guy, kill him in his own apartment. And now what's going to be exciting to see is how this plays out. And how soon are they going to turn this into the new hit show? Whoops, this isn't my apartment. The sequel to Three's Company, except it's just one woman and two dead corpses, probably from another neighbor that she shot on the fifth floor rather than the third. Just, ugh, ugh. Ridiculous. All right, we're going to keep on moving on, people. Let's talk a little bit about Hurricane Norma. How about that idea? Because that's coming through. All right, so not not Hurricane Norma. I keep wanting to say Hurricane Norma. I don't know why. (laughs) Hurricane Florence. Let's talk about Hurricane Florence, which uh, our buddy Howie is going to get gently touched by it. He is over in Virginia. Uh, But for the most part, it's going to hit the Carolinas. And... They said something like a a million people have already evacuated, racing away from this killer storm as it comes in. Now, probably for the best, um, but what I'm curious to see now, you know, we all remember the aftermath of all the recent giant tropical storms, how badly FEMA failed. And it reminds me of when I spoke with a man who I used to be friends with. And uh, frankly, I don't consider him a friend anymore because of the unbelievable way he spoke with, spoke to me uh, and attacked me when we were talking about libertarianism and FEMA. Basically just, you know, I'm one of those people where I could, I figure I could talk to just about anybody, but some of these insane leftists just, they're impossible. They won't let you get a word in. And it came down to this, you know, this FEMA situation. I'm thinking, okay, great. I can easily describe the issues with supply and demand where FEMA is concerned, easily describe how you would solve this with a libertarian society, with private institutions, with volunteers, with uh, communities chipping in. This motherfucker just would not shut the fuck up, just keeps yelling at me. Like, I can't even, can't even begin my explanation of it, which, of course, this isn't my question. He demands I answer this. And then I, I think I had a, one counter question. He goes, oh, now you're asking me the question? Just like... It was a guy that I'd never seen get this angry this fast. And I just was like, wow, we're done here. You and I are not friends anymore. I never want to fucking see you again in my goddamn life. And it's still like, like he wasn't a close friend, but he's a guy that seen him enough, had enough uh, fondness for him that I looked forward to seeing him. Anyway, getting back on point. So the FEMA situation, I am just, I, I'm excited to see how badly the government handles it. And then I'm excited to see how much more bullshit we see come out from people saying how much the government needs more funding and how we need to to give more to all these different organizations, how there needs to be more this, this, and the other one to expand the government's footprint and so that this stuff doesn't happen. Meanwhile, just like 9-11, by the way, how often do these things happen? I mean, they happen so infrequently that to, to put all of this government infrastructure in place just to take care of them is absolutely idiotic. Especially when you consider the fact that the free market can take care of most of the situation, most of the cleanup, most of the bailouts, most of the the on-the-ground work far more efficiently, far faster, as can volunteer organizations. I mean, we talk about the Cajun Navy and all the work that they do when there's massive storms like this, just going in with people that have boats. They volunteer. They're so good. They're so efficient. They get in there. They save people's lives. They bring people supplies. It's incredible compared to FEMA, which has to set up and get everybody to say, oh, got layers of bureaucracy to go through, uh, figuring out which is the best attempt. Okay, now let's get in there. It's just, the, when you see the stark results of this stuff, 
And then still consider the fact that these people want to argue for increased emphasis, increased power for the organizations that are so inept. It just blows your mind. And I'm also really amped up to see, I'm already writing my kind of like the organizations that wrote their hate emails in regards to anything Trump does in advance. I'm already writing my responses to all these people that are going to try to shit on supply and demand and try to argue that price gouging is evil and must be stopped. Because as we know, price gouging is a made-up term. It means nothing. And we talk about you know these people that are bringing in, that are risking their property, their, uh, their transportation units to go into someplace that is now a virtual lawless zone that is now had, whoa, I just knocked my phone off the desk. But going into a, vir- a lawless zone, going into somewhere that has no infrastructure anymore, that's been wiped out by the storm, that has people that are just wandering the streets, that ha- may have looting, that might have people uh, acting violently, that have lost everything, that are probably not operating in a, a state of mind that makes sense, that might be far more aggressive than they might usually be. So you're risking life and limb to bring these people supplies, to bring them basic needs, food and water, shelter, tents, blankets, whatever it might be. And accordingly, God forbid that you spend or or charge people a little bit of extra money to get that service. God fucking forbid, because you should not be allowed to do that, which all that ends up happening is that we see massive shortages. Because we've seen the government can't get their shit together to get water, food, supplies, all that stuff there in time. So that ain't happening. So we have a shortage in the marketplace. We have a shortage as far as government ability to provide these services. And then anybody that tries to provide services and have a little bit of profit markup or even just basically break even because the amount of cost getting there is, is probably doubled easily. I mean, good luck finding working gas stations to even getting in there. But God forbid, you know, these people try to help because you'll just be torn apart. You'll have local government getting involved and saying that you're going to get thrown into jail if you try to mark up uh, your carton of water to the point where you can actually break even on the cost of getting it there. So looking forward to seeing all of that. Okay, last thing in this episode. Like I said, I'm going fast because I'm recording this later. I uh, I met actually met up with Mark and had a... Uh, a little happy hour taco Tuesday. So extra time pressure put upon me here, guys. But one thing I want to wrap up with is that they are actually making a show called law and order hate crimes, which is kind of funny considering their earlier topic of this, uh, Dallas police officer, white Dallas cop shooting a black man unarmed in his own apartment. Is that not a hate crime? Because I'm sure it would be categorized as such. If it was just, some random black uh, black guy getting shot by any other white woman who happened to walk into an apartment. Oh, my God. That's a hate crime. White woman, she clearly shot him because he's racist. And this woman probably still did shoot him because he's black. But anyway, Law & Order, <laughs> excuse me, Hate Crimes, is a show that is actually coming to television. And you talk about a concept that is already based in pure nonsense. I mean, the, the fact that hate crimes exist is a travesty. They were, they're put into existence to ostensibly stop hate crimes from occurring. That hasn't played out statistically. Hate crimes still happen. If anything, I would say hate crimes have gone up merely because now the concept of hate crimes have been out in the world now where it's, it's part of the cultural lexicon. So when stupid shit happens, like you have somebody Oh, well, I punched a gay dude. Oh, that's a hate crime. Okay. 
Is it or do they just have a disagreement? Were they just drunk? Did one of them bump into one another? I mean, who the fuck knows? But you also have people taking advantage of hate crimes. I, I, was, I talked about this on the show wherein these black ladies were on a, I think they're like, maybe they were teenagers, maybe they were like high school or college, but they accused a white guy of a hate crime when there was video that came out later of them being aggressive, attacking this guy and causing the entire thing. And then they blamed it on a hate crime. They said it was his fault and he was the one that had the cops called on him and he was the one that had to defend himself. So having a show dedicated to this fucking idiotic concept, what exactly is it helping? I mean, I know these are all based in fiction, but maybe it was this just because like I was saying, it, there's so many stupid hate crimes going on right now, quote unquote hate crimes that they figure, well, we can always rip from these headlines instantly. No shortage of bullshit to whip off of this week. I mean, is that why? Because I can't think that it has to be something that they just have to cover. Unless this is something more like the showrunner's an anti-Trump guy. He's going to just keep doing anti-Muslim stories and say, you know, oh, well, this is all due to to rhetoric coming from the president. Which, by the way, mark your calendars. I'm sure that's coming very soon whenever this show comes to air. We're saying that it's, you know, (laughs) caused by by race divisions because of Donald Trump doing whatever, which I don't even know. I don't even know what they could blame it on. I, I mean, the black community is doing great. The unemployment sounds great. The Hispanic community is doing well. I, I don't know. what. I just don't know what. But the more you talk about differences in race, the more you talk about hate crimes, the more that they're going to get reported. You know, I talked about this on a couple of different shows before, but when you start just putting the concept into people's minds that they're supposed to be on their, you know, walking on eggshells when they come in contact with other people, that's when you get people looking for reasons to say, oh, this is due to racism. This is due to whatever else. I mean, look, I'm more conscious now in my life at going to be 39 in December, walking up to somebody that's of a different color than I am, than I ever have been in my entire life. And it's not because I'm racist. It's because now there's so much fucking emphasis put on, oh, well, you have to be proper. You don't want to offend anybody. Then now when I'm walking up to somebody, I would have walking down the street. I'm like, well, I hope I don't look at this guy in a way that's going to be considered racist. You know, God forbid, I I better make sure that I make eye contact at the right time. Now, you know, again, if he's if he's a black uh, black man in his younger ages, I want to make sure that I I uh, I make eye contact, but I don't want to make it too soon or it look like I'm sizing his up, like I think he's gonna gonna try to rob me, and I don't want to make it too late or it look like I didn't want to look him in the eye because he's black. Hey, when do you do it? Oh, when do you do it? Now, granted, I'm exaggerating, but you don't think that this shit goes through people's minds all the time now? On both sides of the fence, most likely, but still, you're you're pushing the race divide farther apart because you're putting in people's minds that they have to act a certain way, and they're so self-conscious about fucking acting that way that they're always going to come across as awkward. And when you come across as awkward, then black people or Hispanics or Asians, whatever else, are going to say, I don't know, it's weird, these white people are acting awkward around me. There's a bunch of goddamn racists in this neighborhood. Meanwhile, it's probably that these people are so not racist, they're losing their fucking minds trying to keep up. And goddamn law and order show I already fucking hate anyway, hate crimes is not going to do much to help. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of Lions of Liberty and Electric Liberty Land. Again, Please do become a patron. You will get that free, awesome t-shirt. Oh, just for as little as five bucks a month, baby. And it is good looking like me. And of course, a reminder to enjoy all of our other shows. Mark Claire, 
the leading flagship five years in the making on Mondays. John Odie Odermatt on Felony Fridays. Of course, me every Wednesday right here licking your earlobes <laughs> with Liberty. <laughs> that needs to be on a t-shirt. Licking earlobes for Liberty, baby. All right, guys, that's going to do it. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into Liberty. <laughs>